2: Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends from sex to celebrity to entertainment from the editors of Cosmopolitan.com. This is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson.
3: One in every five adults experiences mental illness. That's over 43 million people in the US alone. And by some estimates, mental health problems can specifically affect women and often manifest in their teens and 20s. Celebrities like Demi Lovato, Kristen Bell, Catherine Zeta-Jones have all come forward to talk about their mental health disorders. Yet there still seems to be this weird stigma surrounding mental health. And that is particularly weird because we all know how obsessed women are with talking about health, fitness, going to the gym, obsessing over a gluten-free, sugar-free, whatever-free diet, and yet we're weirdly talking about the most we're weirdly silent about talking about the most important aspect of our health, which is our brains and our mental health. So that is what we are talking about here today on cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast. I'm your host Lisa Benson, and joining me on the phone today is someone that you all know and love, singer, songwriter, spoken word poet Mary Lambert, who burst into the public eye when she wrote and sang the hook on macklemore and ryan lewis's grammy-nominated same love song she has also been an outspoken advocate for mental health hi mary hi (laughs) um thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me Um, You know, I know that you have become, everybody knows who you are from your song, um, and you've also become a really outspoken advocate for mental health issues and the stigma surrounding it. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, you know, why you have been vocal about having bipolar disorder and, you know, why you made the decision to be so open
0: about it? Well, I think a lot of what, anything I do when I'm, if I'm being open about something is really just because I'm naturally transparent I I I don't I don't think I have that that thing that a lot of people developed. Maybe it was in high school or middle school. I don't know when it happened, but there was a point where I was like, I'm different than everybody because I don't I don't want to hide anything. Like I I want to be completely vulnerable and open because I think from a young age I learned that vulnerability has such a there's so much power in vulnerability. And you'll find that you can have the most beautiful connections with people if you allow yourself to come to the table first, which can be really scary. But if you can step step right up to somebody and say, here, this is something I'm going through, people match you quite quickly. And, and that sort of connection has really been the basis of my – it's been the fundamental of my my life, of, of what I believe in. And so when I was diagnosed um, – I was When I was 15, I didn't really believe it, because I was like, no, I'm just hormonal, and I'm just an extreme person, and I love doing musical theater, and I just really didn't want to, it's not that I didn't want to believe it, I just didn't think that that was really possible or a thing. And Um, Mary, wait,
3: I'm jumping jumping in really quickly, because I actually think that's kind of interesting that you say that, and I'm by no means an expert in mental health illnesses, but just anecdotally, friends I know and other people I've talked to have almost said there can be a sense of relief around having a diagnosis, almost like, oh, this isn't just in my head. And I think it's kind of interesting that you say as a teenager, you were like, no, I don't want this to be the case.
0: It wasn't the stigma. It was just that I felt that people that have mental disorders were I didn't. It's it's like when there there was a time when I was like between nineteen and twenty where I didn't have a place to live, and I'm sure I was broke and I was sleeping on my friends' couches. But I can't. I don't want to tell people I'm homeless. Right. That term like means something so much more than what i was experiencing i wasn't experiencing you know severe poverty in that way i was experiencing being transient <laughs> right. and like just not having a home which is very different than being homeless and i think i felt the same way about claiming a mental disorder that i i felt that most of my friends were that we were just like having a hard time and growing up and being hormonal and I don't know. I just, I, I didn't feel like what I was experiencing.
3: Like the label was too serious for what you felt like was something that it sounds like you were willing, you wanted to work through on your own.
0: Sure. Yeah. I just, I didn't, yeah, it didn't, it, it, it didn't feel as serious for sure.
3: So one of the tough things about mental illness is that you obviously have no control over when things get really bad or, you know, you have a particular episode. I don't know if episode is even like the word that you would use to talk about it. But, you know, you are super busy making music, touring, you know, can you talk about have there been moments where you felt like... Really overwhelmed by this, and you really had to sort of combat it, you know, in a moment where you were supposed to be focusing on performing or supposed to focus mm-hmm. on, you know, being around people or touring.
0: Right. Well, I do. I mean, I do have episodes. I do. I do something called rapid cycling. So it's just. It's really, really, really fast-paced um, mental. Um, it's it's similar to anxiety in a way that's like you know just you can't. You can't. Your brain can't stop moving, and it just ping-pongs really fast. And but for me, the, you know, the thoughts really oscillate mm-hmm. extremely quickly between like I should kill myself, to like everything's okay, I'm okay, everything is wonderful, I don't deserve this. You know, it goes into this really awful shame loop. But what I do think is interesting is that though I. I have I have this disorder. I choose sometimes, and it's not like it's really like easy to be like, no, I'm not going to do this right now. But there are moments where, and I've been catching it more frequently. And it's, it's obviously it's because I've been being really analytical about my disorder for the last five years or so. So I, I feel like I have some grounds to say this I, I, before it didn't used to be you know possible to stop something you know it was just like it was, if it was going to happen it was going to fucking happen and right. I just had to deal with it but like now there's a moment if I can if I start feeling myself spin I do make a decision and there's a moment to where I go am I going to wallow in this am I going to go down this rabbit hole am I going to like right. am I going to turn all the lights off like what And I think in some ways, our mental illnesses are protecting us in different ways, and all of people develop certain things because of different coping mechanisms, and so part of what I think mine might function as is this idea of, like, I need to calm down. If I can figure out how to calm myself down without going through the arduous process of, you know, having suicidal thoughts, then... I can I can start addressing what really needs help. And ha-
3: are there specific behaviors that have helped you cope in the moment?
0: Um, I mean, I know this is so cliche, but it's like deep breaths and sure. um, and I, I talk out loud. I mean, I talk out loud anyway. I'm a really like vocal self talker. It's not just like mm, I believe in self talk. It's like no, I have conversations with myself. <laughs> but I so that's one thing that I do because I if I verbalize what I hear people in my head saying, it sounds ridiculous. Right. Like, and so if I verbalize like you're a piece of shit and I say it, then I'm like, no, that's not true. And so I can coach it out. I can coach myself out of it. And, um, and, you know, praying. um, And uh, once I have a little bit of distance from it, a distraction is really helpful for me. I love watching like Jeopardy or like (laughs) Bob's Burgers or something like a TV show to where I can, I think it was discovering my, my, um, my partner said something about this where it was like, um, TV is almost a kind of community, like we're seeking community when we turn something on. Sure. So I think that that is also helpful. You know,
3: I, this is a gross comparison to draw, about. I'm going to run it by you and tell me what you think. I, You know, as you were sort of saying, you know, as you've been coping with this, you know, and become more cognizant sort of of the way that your disorder affects you over the past several years, and now you can almost kind of catch it. You know, it made me think about how when you're like a little kid and you're sick, you just like throw up everywhere. <laughs> you like throw up in bed yeah. because you have the flu. But you know, when you get older, you know, you start to feel almost that like wet mouth feeling. Do you know what I mean? That, like, visceral, like, I need to run to the bathroom. Yeah, and so you can kind of control it. Um, And, again, that's, like, a disgusting comparison, but... It's
0: so accurate. You're so on point. Yeah,
3: like, just that way of almost being able to sense, like, something is happening to my body and, like, I need to make a decision to sort of do what I can to control this. Sure.
0: Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's also really important for the people around you to to know what's happening, and I think that's the biggest thing for me is because once I can communicate to somebody else what's happening, that means that I've made a step. Right. That means that I can work through something, and that's I mean that's the most difficult thing is to look at somebody and tell them what's going on when you can't. If I can't if I can't speak or I'm just shaking and I can't get words out and like to jump over that hurdle because you respect and love someone else enough to let them know where you're at, then therefore you have to love and, and honor yourself as well.
3: Um, I think that that, you know, was actually the next kind of transitions into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which, you know, one thing that is particularly difficult in dealing with mental illness is the way that it impacts, you know, your relationships. Um, can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that and how you've sort of learned to get to that place of being able to say, like, this is happening to me, um, you know, being able to communicate that to a partner or to a family member or even a friend?
0: Yeah, I, I used to be awful at it. And I do like, I mean, I don't regret my life or anything that I've done, but I put myself through years of complete recklessness and self-destruction because well, for two reasons. The first was that I believed that if I went on medication, that it would stifle me creatively and I wouldn't be able to write music, which is 100% not true. Um, if anything, I've been in, in a more stable position to write music than ever. Um, and the second one was that um, I didn't, I didn't know what kind of, I didn't. I didn't know who I would be if I was on meds, and that scared me. Right. I thought it would take away my extremes, and I I am just a naturally extreme person. And even on medication, I still am like, you know, talk a mile a minute and I'm very excited and passionate about things and then will go on a lull. But I don't – it's really important for me to manage those two extremes and to where it's not like – the lows aren't as low and the highs aren't so high mm-hmm. but the, so saying that means that I've any girlfriend I had in that time had to deal with those things happening and also me saying no no no, I'm not bipolar I I just I know I was diagnosed once but it's not,
3: <laughs> it's not Right. A big deal right about it. well I think but I, oh sorry I I was just gonna say like jumping into what you're saying about you know especially for you as an artist you know this sort of fear that medication would affect you in a certain way and can I just be honest I feel like a lot of us watched Garden State back in the day and had this feeling of like medication is the enemy and it changes who I am which I know is a really oversimplified you know summary of what that the point that movie is supposed to be making but I think I'm sure that's really universal, especially for creative types to feel like is getting help for this is being on medication, going to change
0: who I am. Totally. Honestly, that movie, I mean, cause so many of our people from for generation saw that right. movie. <laughs> like, I totally agree with you that it it, it did do something. And what it was a piece of art. It was what, it was what, you know, it right. was supposed to be. It was like, it's not, can't blame it, I guess. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, I would totally agree with you, but I also experienced that. So I, when I was 18, I attempted suicide and after I did that, I was put on these really serious tranquilizers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't, I, I could, I, I was a zombie. I really couldn't, I, all I could do was kind of float around and then sleep, um, And I didn't want to kill myself, but it was mostly because I just couldn't wake up (laughs) enough
1: to grab anything.
0: Um, But, like, so I had experienced that moment of, like, no, 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 that's what medication does to you. When really there's so many different kinds of pharmaceuticals, there's so many different, like, ways to, you know, live in the world. Also, I've been exploring this idea of, like, that mental illness is not that weird. Like, we're all born really weird our brains are all so different and like the world around us is so stimulating and so crazy this world that we live in is nuts and so to think that our brains wouldn't have all of these strange new rapid coping mechanisms to live in it is not absurd you know what I mean right like when you put it like that that, it sounds like the
3: most normal thing in the world actually
0: (laughs) yeah yeah like when people like just exist in the world without any medication or have any mental issues I'm like you're so weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> how do you survive in this world? It's so stimulating. Right. This
3: world is so bonkers. Of course yeah. that affects our brains on a daily minute by minute basis. Yeah. Um. You know, you have been so vocal about this and so open to talking about it. Can you tell some fan stories about people who have reached out to you and talked about how much your openness has impacted
0: them? Um. I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I just, I released um, um, Body Love a couple years ago, and I can't tell you the flood of emails I got in that first month. It must have been around 40 to 50 emails just from pretty much the same demographic, which was high school and college girls. Mm -hmm. And the emails from... I mean, it was it was just it, it was an overwhelming amount of women saying, "I have an eating disorder. I'm in rehab for an eating disorder. I weigh 80 pounds right now." And you're, I listen to this song every day that helps me eat. And that was one moment where I was just like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> like this, right. I I feel like I'm doing important work. And um, so to not sort of. um to not want to, I wouldn't say recreate it, but also like continue doing that work would be crazy because I, I just love, I love being, I love helping in some way. I love, I love healing in any way I can. So when I release secrets, having the first line to like just shout to the world that I have bipolar disorder, I think meant a lot to a lot of people. And generally I would say my demographic is, is, well, in between, you know, high school up until, you know, old age, but <laughs> my it was one. It was one festival. I was doing. I was I was at the merch table, and this guy comes up, and he's he's a dad. He's like in his fifties, but he is also very clearly um, has has some sort of mental illness, and and you can see he's got some tics, and he's like, and he's like really nervous and and a little shaky and. Um, is having a hard time talking to me, but he, we finally make eye contact and I'm like, yo, yo, I see you. Like, it's okay. I'm I'm me. You're you. Like, let's talk. And, um, and he's like, you're the most, you know, you're the most inspired person I've ever met. And this song, I heard this song on the radio and I, I felt, I felt less alone and i think what you're doing is really important oh my gosh. and i goosebumps. wish that i'd heard this when i was a kid <laughs> and that was one where i was like oh cool like i'm i'm on the i'm on the right path like i right. feel like this is i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing
3: right and i th- and i think that i'm literally getting goosebumps in the you know radio studio as you're talking about this oh. because i think there's something about you know knowing you're reaching as you said this demographic but also people you know even beyond that and that's so powerful and so important so Mary thank yeah. you so much for joining us today and thank you as always for your bravery and for your openness it's so important um, everyone out there Mary's new single Hang Out With You is available on iTunes now it's amazing buy it download it share it mm-hmm. tweet at her <laughs> where is the best place for people to follow you
0: Mary? Um, Instagram Twitter Mary Lambert my website com. Facebook. Um, I'm there. You're, you can you're just, there. Or you can, just, you can just picture me and then I'll wave at you.
3: <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Mary. It was great to catch up with you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome
2: to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa
3: Benson. Sometimes taking care of your mental health means seeking professional help. So here to talk to you about when you should seek treatment is Dr. Susan Bialy, who is joining me over the phone. She's an MD, a wellness expert, a life coach, and the author of Live a Life You Love. She also has personal experience dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, In addition to all of her professional experience. Hi, Dr. Susan. Hi, Elisa. Glad to be here. Thank you. And remind me, where are you calling in from? I'm actually calling from Vancouver, Canada. Oh, a Canadian. I am. Um, So jumping right in, you know, we just got off the phone earlier in the episode with singer and songwriter Mary Lambert, who had talked about how, you know, open she has been about having bipolar disorder and how important it was for her as a teen, you know, to be diagnosed and her process after that. So that was what we wanted to talk to you about. Um, And first, I wanted to sort of ask you, um, you know, our audience here at Cosmo is obviously a lot of women who are in their 20s. Um, And I have sort of heard anecdotally that women in their 20s, you know, that a lot of these disorders, mental health disorders, can specifically manifest themselves in their teens and 20s. Is that true? Is that fair to say?
0: I think so. I haven't specifically seen statistics, but I know from my experience, that's when it all really started. I had an eating disorder in my teens. And then it was when I was around 23 and was in medical school, I started having anxiety and panic. And then later on in my 20s, I also experienced some depression. It's a really difficult time because you are really being formed and growing. And there are a lot of different pressures and decisions that you have to make. You're really learning to live life on your own. And I think that has a lot of stress that comes with it.
3: And so how do you know, this is I guess the million dollar question, how do you know if you're just stressed out or if you're at a point where you should seek professional help?
0: It is different for everybody in terms of knowing what your your normal daily function is like, but I would say that if you've noticed a significant change in the way you're thinking or in your moods or in the way that you're acting, and it seems to be lasting for more than just a few days and is actually starting to affect your functioning like your relationships or maybe your work or school and also if other people have commented about it uh, those are all flags that um something is shifting and it's generally a better idea to get help sooner than later if you think something is wrong
3: absolutely and so what is the difference between a mental illness and a mental disorder like is there a I guess I'm sort of asking is there a difference between like having a funk where you maybe need to see a therapist and you maybe need to get through something like a serious breakup and something that maybe is longer term that you need to deal with, with medication or in an ongoing way?
0: Yes, there's definitely a a difference. I would say that if someone is going through a normal life event that's hard, like going through a breakup, those were some of the worst things that happened to me in my 20s, Uh, or, you know, losing a job, anything that causes a lot of stress. If you're struggling with that it's a great idea to get help but that's not a mental illness even though it can certainly make you more vulnerable. A mental illness or mental health disorder is um, it's a cluster of symptoms that's recognizable as a, as a particular problem something like panic disorder, eating disorders like bulimia, that sort of thing where it's actually something that you specifically need a specific kind of treatment for.
3: Okay. Is there, I know you mentioned that um, in terms of talking about when someone should get, you know, when someone should seek treatment personally. um, Do you have any advice about women that might be in a position of feeling like they have a friend who needs help? You know, is there a way to broach that with a friend or sort of say, like, I think you need to talk to someone? with yes. a medical degree. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and that is really important because you do want to talk to somebody who ideally has a medical degree or a PhD in psychology, someone who's really, really qualified to diagnose because some counselors uh, really don't have the skills if, they're, um, if they have a lower level of training. Uh, you know, there, there used to be such a stigma associated with mental illness and going to get help. I think it's a lot better these days than when I was in my 20s. But it's still so hard, especially if someone is suffering can make it that much harder to find the motivation and courage to get the help that you need. People might also be afraid that they get put on medication, which isn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. So if you've noticed that a friend is struggling, you're in such an important position to be able to really help them get the help they need. Offer to go with them if they're feeling scared to go to an appointment um offer to talk to them initially uh, open the conversation really that's the most important thing.
3: Okay. We had um a few readers that sort of called in hoping to get um hoping to run some specific scenarios by you. So I'm going to play one recording here. This is a woman talking about having a panic attack. Okay.
2: Hi, Alisa. I'm 27 years old and living in Los Angeles. I recently just had a full-on panic attack, um, which I've never had before in my life, over a lot of stress with my job and other things going on. I'm just wondering what kind of ways I can cope with that moving forward until I figure out my next steps. Thank you.
3: She said, hi, Alisa, but um, Dr. Susan, I'm throwing that one totally to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Probably wise, yes, as we discussed. Um, Oh boy, I can relate to that. Uh, As you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've experienced that personally. First of all, I would say that it's important to go see a doctor right away to make sure that a panic attack is actually what went on because there are some medical conditions that can mimic that closely. So you want to make sure that you've got that definition right. Now, I would wait. Tent,
3: sorry, I'm, I'm not meaning to interrupt you, but I actually I think that's a really interesting point that I wouldn't have thought of until you made it just now. It seems almost like panic attack is one of those words that
0: people tend to sort of throw around casually. Yes. yes. And a lot of the time they're going to be right. But there are some conditions that can mimic it. For example, if um, a woman has an overactive thyroid, and that's not uncommon, it can cause the heart to race and for there to be similar symptoms. Also other cardiovascular conditions that cause a, a racing heart and sense of dizziness can, can feel very similar, or even having a crazy amount of coffee. I once triggered panic attacks just by having um, an insane amount of espresso. Right. So I do that every day. Yeah, Okay, good. <laughs> From New York, right? Yeah, exactly. So normal state of affairs. Right. So it's important to identify that it's going on, and it actually is important with panic to get help really quickly, too, because there is so much help. For it. Again, that's not necessarily medication related, so it's just good to see someone as soon as something like that first starts to happen. Now, with respect to what you could do, one of the things that I learned is to tell yourself that you're going to be okay, it'll, it'll pass. And that's just a fact. Panic attacks always pass. And when, when you're having one, the horrible thing is it feels like something really, really awful is going to happen. Like maybe you're going to have a heart attack, or you're going to pass out or humiliate yourself in public, and generally those things, as a rule, do not happen. It feels dangerous, but it's really not. It's really actually quite benign, so it's important to tell yourself that. And then also breathing is huge, because when someone is panicking, we hyperventilate, and that Create some of the scarier symptoms, like feeling like your face is going numb or your hands are going numb. And so if you reverse that by taking a deep breath, I like to breathe into a count of four, hold for a count of six, and breathe out through my mouth through a count of eight and relax. That reverses that hyperventilation and will help you get to a calmer place much more quickly.
3: You know, that was exactly in my last phone call with our last guest. That was exactly what Mary Lambert just said she was like I know it sounds so basic but just remembering to breathe (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's always Mm -hmm. good advice you
0: have you have control over this another thing too that was really big for me when I was young and this was happening is that I thought I had been changed forever. I thought that now I was the person who panicked all the time and I would never be the same again and that was, that was almost scarier than the panic and that's just not true. This is very treatable. It's probably just going to be a short season of your life. It will go away. You will feel normal again.
3: That's, that's great advice. I have um, one other question in here for, from a reader that I'm going to play.
0: Hi, Lisa. I'm 29 from New York, and I guess my concern is that I'm overly emotional. I cry so easily whenever I talk about my feelings, and it's definitely affected my relationships, especially my professional ones. I don't know if I'm
2: just overly sensitive and emotional or if it's a more serious problem, but I don't want to be a crybaby, and I don't know how to make it stop.
3: Dr. Susan, I think that's a great question. How do you know if you're just really sensitive or if this is at the point where, you know, maybe you, again, need to talk to someone?
1: Yes.
0: Oh, my gosh. I relate to this one, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm a workplace crier. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, well, again, it's important to to notice whether this is a shift. Like, Is this how you've been your whole life? Do you always cry at movies or puppies, things like that, and you're just, a naturally very sensitive emotional person or is this a shift has it become worse lately is it starting to really affect your work and you can't really control it if that's the case i would definitely get help around it there are people who just naturally have more difficulty regulating their emotions and you can learn skills to help to manage them better and not feel like you're getting swept up by them and can't control them and that's a really really helpful skill to develop in life
3: That's great to know. That's great to know. Well, thank you so much for joining, Dr. Susan. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, And for listeners out there that want more information from Dr. Susan, visit her website at happyhealthypassionateyou.com. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks so much, Alisa.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Alisa Benson.
3: So, obviously, a lot of stress, as we just heard from our last caller, is work related, but there are many healthy ways to combat that stress with things like exercise, yoga, which I talk about all the time, or meditation. Our next guest has a 20 year career as a media executive before she changed paths and now owns and runs the Den Meditation Studio in Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us, Tal Rabinowitz. Oh, thanks for having me.
1: I appreciate it.
3: And you're um, calling in from your meditation
1: studio in Los Angeles right now. Is that right? I am. I'm calling in from the studio. I'm actually hiding out in the back bathroom so that I don't make too much noise.
3: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Joining us from a bathroom. That might be a first year. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking right before um, I jumped on the phone with you. Um, heard from a reader who talked about how stressed out she is you know, sometimes at work and kind of sometimes can't help herself from crying in the workplace. So you um, got into meditation because you spent 20 years in a in sort of a corporate in an exhausting corporate job. Is that right?
1: Yeah. You know, I was working in entertainment for, like you said, 20 plus years. And it is exhausting. And I also just had a lot of personal stuff going on in my life at the time, too. And I was you know, running an apartment and there was so much on my plate and I was just kind of having trouble sorting through what my actual thoughts were. I was really having trouble like digging deep and figuring out what I needed to do in my life personally as well as professionally. Um, and I just one day kind of woke up and was like, I think I want to learn how to meditate. It was the oddest feeling, like it just honestly came to me. And I was having lunch with a girlfriend that day and I brought it up. And she said, oh, I actually have friends who just learned from this teacher. Here, let me get you her number. And I got her number, and I actually was in the process of picking up my phone to text a girlfriend of mine to say, hey, I'm doing this. Would you like to do it with me? And I'm not joking. When I picked up the phone to text her, she had just texted me saying, hey, I got this number of this teacher. I'm going to learn to meditate. Would you like to do it with me? So it was definitely meant to be. I was definitely supposed to learn to meditate. Right. Um, And so we did. We learned to meditate, um, and it was very helpful. Like I said, I was going through a very kind of tough time in my life. So it was tricky at times and it was hard to kind of settle in, but it did really help me.
3: And, you know, I think you have such an interesting perspective on this because you did have this high profile job for so long. You know, what do you say to people that think of meditation as being something that's sort of like, I don't know, like hippy dippy?
1: I know, it's interesting, and people do, and I used you know, people used to always look at me and be like, oh, you, you know, beat to the, you know, you, you're, you go to the beat of your own drum, and you're mm-hmm. different, and it's true, it's, I think what's great now, mindfulness has kind of taken off, and we do all types of meditation here, but mindfulness, I think, helps a lot of people that are nervous that it is hippy-dippy, because it is very straightforward, kind of, you know, based a little bit in science, um, and it's not, you're just sitting still. I always used to say when I would have trouble meditating, at worst, that meant I sat still for 20 minutes silently. I was like even if it was the worst session for me then at least I got to sit there and for me I'm like that's already a benefit the fact that I could sit quietly not look at my phone not get on the computer not text a million people not think about everything just sit there quietly because no matter what in 20 minutes it will settle for a little bit that was already beneficial so then if you can actually have successful sessions of meditating you're already just calming yourself and centering yourself and what I tell business people all the time is it just makes you better at your job so even if you're nervous it's hippy-dippy I know what motivates a lot of people in that regard is, you know, just success. So in that sense, I say this will help your success.
3: Do you have clients that come and visit you? You know, they are literally like coming on their lunch break and taking like a pause out from their day to have a session.
1: Absolutely. That's we purposely have something called lunchtime detox every day at one fifteen. It's only a half hour, specifically for that reason, because I kept thinking, could I, have, where could I have gone if I didn't happen to have a lunch? Where could I have had time grab something to eat, still do a meditation, and get back into the office in a reasonable amount of time? So we purposely scheduled it that way, and we do get people in here all the time.
3: And how has your how has your, I guess like mental state of being changed since you left? your career to start this new career in meditation.
1: Well, it's funny because it's a two-sided question in a weird way because everyone keeps always saying, oh, you must be so mellow. You work at meditation. And I always giggle giggle and say, yes, but I did start a business. Right. (laughs) There is that element of it. I will say, though, I don't know if I didn't have that background, if I could have done this. You know, especially I think when you're doing a business, you want things to kind of roll off your back a little bit because things happen all the time. Things go wrong all the time. Things happen. And I think it's really helped me have the ability of being like, okay, what's next? How do I fix that? How do I do? How do I make sure that doesn't affect whatever we need to happen versus getting mired in a problem or getting stuck in what didn't happen versus looking at, like, how can I make it happen or what are the good things that are happening? I think it's really helped me have the ability to do that, um, you know, just kind of let things roll off my back a little bit more. Um, and at the core, this is what I tell everybody. It just helps you get to know yourself better, and the more you know yourself, and any regard, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's just, you know, deciding what vacation to take or just how to mm-hmm. make yourself happy. The better you know yourself, just the more successful you are in every element of life because you're making decisions from the right place. Um, and we, I mean, it seems so simple, but so many of us actually don't know at the core what drives us, who we are, what we like, what we need to do, and they kind of lose track of how to follow.
3: Yeah, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Most people don't, but you think you do because it's like, how do you not know yourself, right. but
3: most of us don't. Um, so I think that I that <laughs> I think you really touched on something with me personally. The idea of having no idea who I am, and of course, everyone feels like that. Um, you had also mentioned, you know the you know the business person who's popping in on their lunch break. Is there sort of a most common thing that people are coming to you for?
1: You know what, <clears throat> it's, that's so funny. I was just having this conversation with somebody. I think what I love about our space in particular is it is a wide array of different people. But I think if you go down to the core, 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 everyone has a reason, whether it's like I'm too stressed, I'm exhausted. At the core, it is people are just feeling unsettled. So, again, whether it's unsettled, like you were saying, because you don't necessarily know who you are, whether it's unsettled because you feel like you're working too much and you haven't been able to take a breath, it all gets to a point of there's something unsettling and isn't feeling right. And, I again, I think it brings you back the more you can see center and get into yourself, the more you start to realize what direction you need to take to make it right. Um, And it really does help. And I mean, I always say it's like a vacation for your brain. So at the core, just 20 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes, or even 10 minutes if that's all you have one day, it just at least calms you for that moment.
3: How you were completely selling me on the brain vacation narrative? (laughs) I love that. I like to take a
1: vacation.
3: Yeah, exactly. That sounds amazing. Um, I have to ask: Is there? You know, you mentioned that like mindfulness. I think has even the term mindfulness. I think has become something that's really like sort of entered our lexicon over the past few years. Is there anything that you're seeing that? a lot of people are coming to you for or asking about now that they weren't really a year or two ago?
1: Well, I would say, like, when I opened the place... The goal always is make it easy, mainstream, so everybody can come and they don't feel like they're being, you know, having forced to join something. Because a lot of times, um, some of the bigger meditation places, all amazing, and I love them, it felt like you had to join a certain religion or a certain lineage or you had right. to dress a certain way or you Completely had to be a vegan. Cult-like. Or totally. By the way, I would say you can be all those things here. Like, please be a vegan and come. Please don't drink alcohol. But if you also drink or if you eat meat, you're welcome here as well, and everybody should get along great. So... But in that, I think I thought there would be some classes I might have to steer away from in the beginning that might be a little bit more, quote-unquote, woo-woo, or kind of touch into the spirituality of stuff. Um, But that's stuff I love, so I always knew I would offer it. Like, there would always be an array, and it surprised me, I think, how much so many people actually craved it and were were asking for it. So I think it actually, that surprised me more than anything. I mean, I knew mindfulness classes would do well, um, but I think I was just shocked how much people would be kind of like soaking in like the sound baths and some of our just, you know, some of our teachers who just bend on a more spiritual element and people are just craving it. And I get it. There's just, if you look at what's happening in the world right now, in the right. last couple of weeks alone, there just feels like there's a lack of something, whether you want to call it spirituality or just love or humanity, there's a lack of something. And I think that's what people are craving. And we don't always know how to get it without feeling like they're reaching for something woo-woo. So our goal here was like, now let's make it easy so everyone can get it and like fulfill themselves.
3: Right. No matter how you're, you know, what sort of preconceived notions you're coming to this with, it's sort of for everyone. So exactly for people, for our readers who aren't, our readers and listeners who, I always say readers, thinking Cosmo, but listeners this more after a podcast um for people who aren't in LA and can't physically visit you and soak up all the benefits that the den meditation studio has to offer um but are intrigued by everything you're saying and you know need sort of like a 101 piece of advice like they want to get into meditation but they feel like they literally can't even sit still what's your advice for those beginner newbies
1: So I know everyone always gets nervous about that. And it's funny, I tell people who walk in here, people say, I've never done it, I'm nervous. And the first thing I always say is, Don't beat yourself up. Don't be hard on yourself. Just sit there. Your mind is going to wander. You are going to think of other things because you are human and you are alive and that happens. And I think the moment you can accept that and not think the minute that happens that you just suck at it and you're horrible and you did it wrong, then the minute you can settle into it every time you sit, it'll get a little bit easier and easier and easier. But like I tell anyone, you could be running for years. You could be a runner. You could be a long-distance runner. And, I mean, I used to run. There were still those days you, like, dragged yourself out of bed those first couple miles were awful and sometimes the whole run was awful and you cut it short and you came in but that doesn't mean you're not a runner and it doesn't mean you can't run and it doesn't mean that weekend your run's not going to be the most amazing one that sticks in your memory forever so meditation is very similar to that it's similar to any sport in that regard you have good days, you have bad days and in the beginning just like anything you can only lift so many weights in the beginning and you feel like you're going to throw up in the gym and then all of a sudden a month later you know, you're know you walking in with a little bit more of a strut so it's, it's very similar so I just tell people just don't beat yourself up. And again, going back to how I felt, even if you just sit there quietly, even if your mind's running a million miles a minute, but you just sat there, you've already, you've already done more for yourself than you did the day before.
3: That's great. That's great. And what are some success stories you've heard from clients who have made meditation a daily part of their lives?
1: Well, it's been actually amazing. I was just sitting um, with one of our teachers yesterday at lunch, and I, was, I pulled out i have a weird satchel that I use as a wallet. It's a whole other story. But I <laughs> that up, but will I be, our <laughs> be our next podcast. That will be our next podcast, all about the satchel. Um, but as I was pulling out my credit card, this little note fell out, and he was like, what is that? And I said, oh, it's, a, it's one of the thank you notes I carry around. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, we get thank you notes, and it's amazing. Like, I will come in, and there will be sometimes notes like literally like like in an envelope, a card on the desk waiting, and just beautiful thank you notes. And for everyone, it's something different, whether it be they were going through a really tough time and this has been, you know, a savior or a rock. Um, So I've heard just a lot of success stories of it's just changed people's lives. For some, it's like, wow, I eat a lot less now. I used to eat all the time, and now I'm just eating less. I don't even know why. I'm sleeping better. Or this has really helped me figure out what to do with my life. Or this breakup was awful, and this really – Help me get through it so we've gotten everything across the board but we do get a lot of thank yous and it's really nice and i always say for me having changed careers you know this for me fulfills a lot of different sides but i watch people come out happy and that's pretty amazing like to see people go in one way and just always kind of come out happy relaxed and just feeling good
3: um, I am totally drinking the Kool-Aid. I want to do all of. The, I want to do come all visit. of the things you just said. Yes, I'm gonna come to LA just to come see you. I'm like, I want to leave happy. I want to eat less. Yes, i <laughs> do it. Come
1: do it. I, I will.
3: I will. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I oh, know this was so much fun. Thank you. Thanks, Tal. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye. Thank you to all of our guests who joined the Cosmopolitan.com Happy Hour podcast today. And thank you to all of you guys out there listening. Please rate the podcast, share it, like it, tweet me and find me everywhere at Elisa Benson. And, at, and as always, let me know what you want to hear us talk about next week. See you guys soon. Bye.